The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports. The where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. Yeah, that is it. This is Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. We are here as we are always every single Thursday giving you a boatload of treats. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host. You can find him on Twitter at Mile High Mario, Mario Batanzi. Mario, another great week, another great week of topics. It just seemed like, you know, whether sports and entertainment, these topics keep coming. It's just like laying them in our lap like a, like a layup. And uh, we'll get into NBA action later on when we talk to Hans Heiser and see what's cooking down there in Hotlanta after J.R. Smith went ham on the Atlanta Hawks. So much to, to kind of talk to and to, to get in. Uh, Mario, there's a couple of things. Let's do a little, some house cleaning, if you will. Uh, this past week, we say goodbye to uh, a couple of things. Uh, David Letterman, you know, been on late night for so many years. We say goodbye to him. His final show was last night. And so many people dropped by. They, they didn't invite, you know, you and I. But uh, maybe next time, maybe when Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon gives his last show, maybe he might uh, invite us. But... For they told me that my invitation got lost in the mail. Oh, you're in Because I just moved, Nick, so I don't, know, I don't know why you didn't get yours, but that's why I didn't get mine. Yeah, you know, I think it was uh, uh, postmarked uh, to get here, but, you know, I think that's the same thing. Well, I'll check when I get home, but most likely my invitation to be in that audience last night in New York, uh, probably sitting in my mailbox, but, you know, I, I missed out. But uh, those uh, individual fans who love uh, the channel AMC, uh, the critically acclaimed shows that they've had on that program, on that network. Uh, one is kind of that, that, that I like is uh, The Walking Dead. But they said goodbye to Mad Men uh, earlier this week, Mario. I don't know about, about you. Uh, I really got into this show early on in the first season. I kind of fell off a little bit, but it was, it was good to kind of go back and watch some of the characters. And I think when the show goes off air, you always wonder, uh, is there closure with certain characters? Uh, did you watch that show at all? No, nah, man, I never got into it. I tried to watch it a couple times, uh, Nick, and I don't know. I just, I just couldn't get into it. It's the same thing with Entourage, pretty unpopular thing, but I tried to watch Entourage several times. Couldn't get into that show either, so I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I, I got so many shows to watch, Nick, and I'm more of a, of a comedy guy, you know, with Modern Family, uh, 
Big Bang Theory, those kind of shows. So with my schedule, Nick, I really got to pick and choose my shows carefully, and I I just didn't have time for it. So wait a minute, you're trying to tell me you're not a love of Dancing with the Stars like I am? Not a dance. See, Nick, I would watch Dancing with the Stars if they actually got stars on that show. I mean, it should be dancing with C-list celebrities because they're certainly not stars. When you get Michael Sam up there, like I understand that he was real popular. He was the first publicly gay football player, except he didn't actually make a team. And there's a guy talking about, oh, I want to be taken seriously as a player. But then he turns around, doesn't make an NFL team, and does dancing with the stars. Like You are now more a figure of the media than you are an actual athlete. So... Sorry, I went on a little bit of a rant there, but not not a fan of Dancing with the Stars either, man. When they do the little lineup and saying all the people that are going to be on that season, I had recognized like two of those names. So they use the term stars very generously. Wait a minute. You know, uh, a broadcast extraordinaire Tyvis Smiley was on last season. Uh, also, Patti LaBelle. I mean, she's a, she's a star. She's an icon. How can you say that, that she is not a, a star? And then... You know, give, give, me some, give me some current stars, Nick. You know, give me some people. Like, back when they had NFL football players, I mean, Ocho Cinco has been on. I'm pretty sure Jerry Rice, what was it, Emmett Smith, I think, was on it. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I would watch those guys. I mean, those guys are stars, in my opinion. But you're getting a bunch of people, like, you're, they're really starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel. And maybe it's that these, quote-unquote, stars, the actual stars, don't want to be on a show like that. They're like, you know what, I, I can't really dance. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do my own thing. You know, I'll, I'll find some TV opportunity elsewhere. And I think that speaks volumes when the best football player, quote unquote football player that they could get was Michael Sam. Well, you know what? I mean, first of all, you got to think about it. It is a reality TV show, even though it's based around dancing and it's all about drawing up ratings. That's why Aaron Andrews is now taking over as a co-host to bring in more younger uh, viewers. But I mean, Jacoby Jones was on that show and he came, that was right off of, uh, I guess when the Baltimore yeah, right Ravens... right after they won the Super Bowl. Right, right after they won the Super Bowl. Still Michael, not, I still wouldn't consider him a star, Nick. I mean, a lot of people who aren't football fans, they would have no idea who Jacoby Jones was. Even people that don't like football, they know Jerry Rice. They know Emmitt Smith. You know, they know Ocho Cinco. But that's what I'm saying. They scraped the bottom of the barrel. They couldn't, get, uh, they, they couldn't even get an A-list football player, Nick. Jacoby Jones is a C-list guy at best. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's go back to that game when San Francisco played Baltimore. Because to me, I'm gonna, I don't believe that you know, Jacoby is a C-list star in the NFL. He should have received, the, the, I guess, the vote for the most valuable player in that game. And he should have done the, the Disney commercial tra- that's traditionally done by the quarterbacks at the end of the game. Because you look at coming out of halftime, his return for a touchdown. He set up the flip position for Joe Flacco to drive the field. So for me, Jacoby Jones, at that particular time, he was definitely hot. He was a draw, and he did help the Baltimore Ravens win that game. So to classify him as just kind of a, a C-star in the NFL, I really can't say that. Well, Nick, let me, let me just give you his stats. Last season, last, just last season, 2014, nine catches, 131 yards. Not a game, Nick, not a game. The whole season, no touchdowns. Nine catches, 131 yards. I know he's more of a return specialist, right. and I get that, but, I mean, you're talking about a wide receiver who, in his entire career, has amassed 2,700 yards and 200 catches and 14 touchdowns. 
Uh, I'm just saying, like that's a that's a C list celebrity to me, Nick. I I know I understand at the time. At the time, when they they got him, yes, he was. I guess he was the hot commodity, somewhat. But you're still talking about a wide receiver who really isn't a very good wide receiver. I mean, he's he's a return specialist. Well, I mean, he was a return specialist, but at that time, he was hot off the presses. And if you have a show like Dancing with the Stars, you want to get a guy whose name that, that's out there. But that, the show has had several individuals on, on the show that were not kind of like individuals from you know, 20 years ago that no one knew who they were. But there's some quality individuals that have been on that show. And, and I've been trying to push this one person that both you and I know to uh, join that show, but uh, he won't do it. My good friend and former uh, uh, safety, John Lynch, you know, I would like to see John Lynch get out there and see what he can do and move those hips and see if he can do that, that pasta doble and see what he can see if he can actually get out there and show us the same kind of steps on a dance floor that he would show us being in that secondary plan along myself, Champ Bailey and Dre Blyde. So, um, and real it, quick, it, just, so, just yeah. so you know, Nick, in that 2012 season when they won the Super Bowl in the postseason. Yeah. He had five catches in that entire postseason. Remember, they were the wild card team, and they went on to win the Super Bowl. So that's what, four games? Had two touchdowns in four games. Okay, that's not bad. Five catches, 140 yards in those games. Uh, And then he had the one return touchdown, uh, return for a touchdown in the Super Bowl. So, look, again, I get the case that you're trying to make, but there's nothing that you can say that will convince me he is not a C-list player. I mean, I think I'm being generous to saying he's a C-list player. Listen, you know, we know he's not an A-list player, but to see, I, I think that's, that's, you know, kind of beneath him. But I, I will go back to something and not to kind of turn the screw into your uh, wrist, if, uh, if you will. <laughs> but you do remember that one catch, right? You do remember. Why, why you got to do me like that, Nick? I, I'm, just, I mean, I'm just saying. So, so now it's my turn to Floyd Mayweather you, as you did me last. <laughs> you're just, you're just rope-a-doping me, huh? Yeah, I'm just rope-a-doping you. But, but you know what, man? Uh, 30th anniversary of a movie that uh, I've been a fan of for so many years. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I've been a fan of John Hughes movies uh, for a while, Pretty in Pink, you know, Breakfast Club, and, and you know, who could forget Weird Science? But like I said, 30th anniversary of the movie Breakfast Club, but Here's a little audio if you haven't heard it from the ending of Breakfast Club. We accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. And you see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, with the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain. And an athlete. And a basket case. A princess. And a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours. The Breakfast Club. Don't, 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 don't you forget about me. I mean, how, how can you not love that movie? That the iconic ending, you know, guy going off the field. He's considered a social misfit, and then at the end, he give, give, give you that that fist in the air. I mean, I, I love that. I love that movie, uh, Mario. I don't know if uh, you. Well, that's one of the of most it. iconic like images in all of film. You know, you got the Titanic where Jack and Rose right. are on the helm, and you know he, he's holding her from behind. That picture where he's holding his fist up at the very end, man. That's it's an iconic scene, and yeah, I love Breakfast Club. Yeah, I mean, it. it you know, something was so. 
something about watching Judd Nelson walk across that football field and kind of pump that fist in the air. It's not like, you know, you, you, you're going on against the man or whatever, but it was just, he was a guy that was burdened down by life itself. And on one weekend, he had to serve detention and got a chance to know individuals that he ordinarily wouldn't have had an opportunity to, you know. And just walking across that field and just kind of the jubilation he must have experienced. And that says a lot for a lot of individuals who are trying to fit in and, and don't know where to fit in society. But to me, when you watch that movie, you have to know that there is a place for you. You find your own happiness. You create your own happiness. That's one reason why I definitely uh, love that, that movie. Uh, coming up after the break, we're going to talk to Hans Heiser, figure out what's happening in Hotlanta. And can they find a way to slow down J.R. Smith? But uh, Mario, once again, some great things that, that, that are happening uh, in, the, in, the, in the NFL as well. We'll talk about those rule changes and how they can impact uh, the league moving forward. But there was something that happened, and we just touched on it very, very slightly here, that took place earlier in this week. It was the NFL draft lottery. And sadly to say, Mario, the Nuggets continue to take it on the chin. <laughs> uh, Scott Brooks, you know, you might remember Scott Brooks. We talked about him on this program. Former OKC Thunder head coach boosted out of a job. I think Billy Donovan is taking over there. But offers from maybe the Pelicans and your Denver Nuggets passed down the interview. Look, I don't want to take the interviews. So what was that say about the Denver Nuggets job if a guy like Scott Brooks doesn't want to even take the interview, Mario? First, I'm going to give you the hometown answer, Nick, and then I'm going to give you my secondary perspective. Okay. The hometown answer is Scott Brooks is scared of building a team. When he was in OKC, he had two of the top five, maybe top ten basketball players in the NBA in Russell Wilson and Kevin Durant. He had an absolutely stacked team. So you're coming into Denver, and... I mean, it's, it's not a great market. We already, Mello made that very clear to everybody. It could turn into a good market. You know, you, you see what the Atlanta Hawks have done. But it's just one of those, it's kind of in the middle of the country. Uh, they've been good in the past, but they've never really been considered a huge threat in the past. And you look at their, their roster, man. Ty Lawson is supposed to be your leader. We know that he's had his problems. Danilo, Gall- Danilo Gallinari is arguably the best player, and you know he's had health issues, and who knows if he'll ever really be the same. So my hometown answer is that he doesn't want the challenge of taking over the Nuggets because he knows it would be a long, hard road. I mean, if he walks into a team like the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, you, you know that he would be able to, and, and this is just like an example, talking about some of the bad teams. You, know, you walk into the Lakers, you walk into the Knicks, at least you, know, you have the quote-unquote market, and you have uh, a little, you know, some of the players built up, plus an early, early draft pick. Uh, now, my secondary perspective answer is that he just doesn't want to be in Denver. You know, it comes down to, do players want to be in Denver? Well, no, apparently not, for whatever reason. Uh, maybe the guys don't want to play at a high altitude, Nick. I mean, playing half your games at Denver, it's going to affect your stats. So, I, I, I don't know. I, that's that's the best I got for you. Scott Brooks is a clown. That's all I'm going to say. Scott Brooks was a clown. You know what? One, one thing is for sure, no matter who comes over and takes over that team, they have uh, some heavy lifting to do to overhaul that team, to make them 
I mean, even playoff caliber. We're not even going to go as far as to say an NBA title. I think we have to take time and wait to see if they can live up to those expectations. But it is, it has proven problematic even when you had a star like Carmelo Anthony in the fold to even get guys to want to come to uh, Denver. But I tell you what, we'll talk about it right after the break. One team and one place that will not have a hard opportunity to get guys to come there, the Minnesota Timberwolves. We'll tell you why right after this break. Hans Heiser breaks it all down. You listen to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? <laughs> Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. That's right, Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective here. We will talk to uh, analyst Hans Heiser shortly, talk about the uh, NFL, uh, a little bit of NFL here, and also talk a little bit about the NBA lottery selection, how it went down, but more importantly, what's going on with the Atlanta and the Atlanta Hawks. You know, Viva Las Vegas, Mario, I don't know how you feel about this draft lottery process and the fact that the team with the most losses get the more, more balls in, in this kind of, uh, Ch- charade, but uh, uh, the New York Knicks did not fare well. Uh, the Denver Nuggets obviously did not fare well. And my Miami Heat at the bottom did not fare well, but there are, are a couple of teams that, in fact, did fare well, and that being the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Philadelphia 76ers. You talk about where they ended up, but the Los Angeles Lakers holding out in that third position. And it, 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 was, it was great for the Lakers, but Minnesota Timberwolves, I mean, I mean, I don't want to say they came off like fat rats, but they, they did. And, and I like to bring in Hans Heiser. He covers everything in Atlanta sports-wise. 
you know, Hans, I have to start off by asking you, what's the mood of the fan base in Atlanta right now at this point after J.R. Smith with Ham on them last night? Well, first of all, Nick, good to talk to you again. Uh, the, the, the atmosphere was electric. I mean, the, fan, the, the fans are completely bought in. Um, of course, the Tavo Cephalosian news uh, about a month ago, it's unbelievable it's been that long. You knew if you got past you know, the first couple rounds, you knew you'd have to play Cleveland in, in that Eastern Conference Championship, and Tavo was the guy. You know, he's about 6'7". He, he, you know, he, he has that experience, championship experience, when he was with Oklahoma City. So that was a big blow to the fan base because you're kind of like, uh-oh. You know, that he's going to be important if we play them. And then last night when Damari Carroll went down, uh, he was just more the same. Everybody looking at each other saying, are you serious? Is this really happening again? You know, we, we got here as a team. We don't really have any superstars, but you start taking a couple key cogs of those, uh, you know, core contributors out, you know, it, it starts to add up. But I, I think the fan base overall right now, Nick, is optimistic. Uh, that we can get a split here uh, tomorrow night and go back to Cleveland and try to steal one and, and regain home court advantage. Well, you know, you talk about Carroll's injury, and I know he's been a spark plug for that team. You know, how do they, in fact, rebound in game two against, you know, this Cleveland Cavaliers team? Because, I mean, LeBron James is going to get his points. And the fact that you, have, you don't have Carroll, who's supposed to shut him down, but now you have Paul Millsap that's trying to guard him. How are they supposed to get this done, Hans? Yeah, I don't know that Millsap's the answer. You know, he, he missed the last week of the regular season with the shoulder injury. Uh, and it looks to me like he's playing through it. You know, he's a tough guy. He's not going to say anything. But, you know, he's not the answer. I mean, like, how, how many people in the league have anybody that can guard that guy? You know, I, I think that's part of the reason why San Antonio handled them the way they did last year. And they got one of those guys in Kawhi Leonard. Um, now, the Hawks right now, you, you know, you take Cephalosha out of the equation, Damari Carroll, which, by the way, was at practice today. There's no major ligament damage. It's considered a bone bruise, but the, the swelling is pretty severe. He's considered day-to-day, uh, you know, going out there and playing, uh, going for a jog, and then going out there and guarding LeBron James for 45 minutes are two completely different things. So <laughs> we'll see if he's able to come back at all in this series. But Ken Bazemore is going to be ha- going to have to be the guy. And he's given up 55 pounds to LeBron, and uh, they knew that. You could tell watching that game, Nick. Uh, I think LeBron James settled for two or three jump shots last night. Everything else was in the paint. So they're going to continue to attack us that way. But listen, when J.R. Smith has a game like that, you tip your cap, and there's really not much else you can do. Now, you know, Bazemore came in late in the game, and he was very energetic, but we all know there's a difference between coming in and relief of one guy opposed to playing for the length of a game. Now, can he keep up right. and maintain that type of energy against a guy like, like LeBron and as the series move forward? It's gonna, I, I don't see how he can do it. You know, he was, uh, he was a two-time NCAA uh, Defender of the Year when he was in college. So he's a good defender, but he's, you know, he's a little bit light to be guarding LeBron James. So look for some different combinations on LeBron tomorrow. Um, I, I don't know that Millsap is the answer, and if he is, going back to the broadcast booth last night with Weber and, uh, and Reggie Miller, they didn't really seem to understand why Millsap was picking him up off the dribble at half court. 
because, you know, I, he's hard enough to stay in front of, and I guess he was just depending on some of his teammates to help him out uh, when he did get around him. But by that time, he's already got a full head of speed, and that's not really the guy you want to step in front of. So to answer your question, we don't have a guy. It's going to have to be a group collective effort. But offensively, other guys are going to have to step up. Now, now Jeff T looks like he can get past Kyrie Irving, who's hurt at any time, and get to the basket. But guys like Kyle Korver, guys like Paul Millsap, I understand if they're hurt or whatever the situation is, these guys have to start making shots. Uh, Dennis Schroeder included coming off the bench if the Hawks want to have a chance at all in this series. So you just mentioned two guys, and then Schroeder and Jeff T. And like you said, they can get to the cup whenever they want to. Do you see the Hawks staff going to a smaller lineup against, you know, the, the Cavs, knowing as though Carroll's going to be out for game two? You know what? That's not a bad idea. I mean, you, you take a look at what, what uh, Cleveland did to us on the glass last night, out-rebounding us by 12. Um, you're going to lose that battle. I mean, Tristan Thompson, I know – yeah, I don't know how you can make the argument that Kevin Love, as well as he was shooting the basketball when he went down, that that could be beneficial for the Cleveland Cavaliers, but it might just be. It's, it's forced LeBron James to, uh, to take the ball into the paint a little bit more, and you bring Tristan Thompson out there, who's not really a, a guy who's going to look to find his shot, but he hangs out underneath the basket as opposed to Love, who's more of a stretch guy. And uh, he's, a, he's a good defender. He's a great rebounder. And you put him and Mozdoff out there at the same time, you know, the Hawks don't have anybody that they can match up with them. So they're going to lose that rebounding battle uh, no matter what. But when, you know, like I said, when J.R. Smith's hitting, step back behind the back, fall away three-pointers one after another, you, you know, you, you're going to have to be on your A game. And, and the Hawks weren't last night. So they're going to have to get some contributors uh, coming up in game two. And one of those guys whose name we haven't mentioned because he didn't play, but now because of the injury to Damari Carroll is going to probably see a significant amount of minutes increase. And that's Mike Scott. Mike Scott's a guy who can shoot you right back into a game. Um, very athletic guy, a little bit slight defensively. So don't look for him to match up on LeBron, but he's a guy that's definitely going to see some more minutes tomorrow night. Hans, speaking of shooting your team back into the game, Kyle Korver, who was by far, or maybe not by far, but in my opinion, the most prolific three-point shooter this year in the NBA, you know, only Steph Curry comes to mind as well, only took five shots, four of which were three-pointers. I mean, was this in the game plan to maybe not get caught? I'm trying to rationalize it why, you know, if J.R. Smith starts to take over, it's getting to that point where you need to start going shot for shot with them. Was Kyle Korver just not getting open, or was that their game plan? Like, why did he only attempt five shots? I, I think if you go back to the opening series uh, when the Atlanta Hawks played there in, in the first round, they've seen a lot of uh, offensive fouls called on guys like Millsap, uh, guys like Al Horford. You saw three or four of them last night where they're just trying to get Korver open. And I think one of the coaches said something to the officials because you're seeing more and more of those calls. And Kyle Korver's not a guy who can put the ball on the floor and create his own shot. Um, there isn't really one guy who's locking him down. It, it's been a team effort. And, and credit to him, even though he's not shooting the ball well, he's making up for it in other areas of the game. His rebounding has been outstanding. His defensive work, I think, in the Washington series, uh, in particular against uh, John Wall, of all people, uh, was a real unsung part of the, the Hawks winning that series. But 
they're going to have to find other ways to get him open because these screens that they're running, uh, for whatever reason, the, the officials aren't having it. And then you, you continue to see, I think, three more illegal screens called on the Hawks last night. And if we're unable to get him open, uh, it's really limited what he can do other than that offensively. Also looking at Al Horford and uh, what the Cavs did, they only had six players last night that actually scored. I mean, they, they played eight, but really it was six guys that did any sort of damage, and then Iman Shumpert, who only scored four points. Mozgov and Tristan Thompson are in there. They're the only big guys that the Cavs can go to, and Al Horford attempts one free throw, so obviously that would have been on an and one. I mean, don't you have to feed Horford the ball underneath and just try and, you know, draw some fouls from the big guys, maybe get Mozgov in trouble so those two can't be on the court at the same time? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. You know, he stepped out last night, knocked out a couple of jumpers, and that's that's a big part of his game offensively. But I thought late in the game there were a couple uh, couple possessions where they got the ball to him on the side of the floor where he's comfortable there on that right block. And he was going one-on-one against Mozgov, and he was able to get around him both times. Uh, and I'm sure that Mike Budenholzer and the coaching staff saw that. Uh, that, yeah, he's given up a little bit of size, but he can use his quickness, as he can against most bigs. You know, he's a you, – you, people want to look at Al Horford being a, a a true four in this league, but he could be matchup problems for the other side as well because he's a lot quick, quicker than, than a lot of those guys. So I, I would like to see them feed him more. I think he was 8 of 12 last night from the field. Those are good numbers. When Millsap struggling the way he did, 3 for 11 last night, you'd like to find out uh, some more shots there, in particular in the second half. We're talking to uh, Hans Heiser down in Atlanta, talking about the Hawks and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Hans, ACC sideline reporter for Fox Sports South and covers the Falcons and the Hawks. Let's just shift a little bit, Hans, to uh, the NBA lottery last, last night. You know, a couple of teams hoping that their prayers would be answered. But we all know that you can't get one draft choice and make your team, you know, a championship contender. But one team that did and possibly can, and that's being the Minnesota Timberwolves with a bunch of talented young players, Levine, Wiggins, and Ricky Rubio. If you are the Minnesota Brass, I mean, who do you take? Carl Anthony Towns or Jaleel Okafor? Boy, I tell you what, I'd like to be sitting in their shoes right now. You know, they they got a couple bigs that can actually play. They got Jang from Louisville, and they got uh, Pekovic, the uh, the European player. But both of those guys, they can't stay healthy. Uh, and Rubio goes into that equation as well. I think Wiggins. I know that Cleveland right now, looking at the trade, and they're going to be skeptical uh, moving forward, or at least looking back on it. Did they do the right thing? Wiggins towards the end of the year, guys, was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, he right now is one of the top ten defenders in the NBA, and he's 20 years old. And you have a guy that you can build around. And you just mentioned two guys that I don't think you can go wrong with with either one of them. I, I kind of like Okafor a, a little bit more because I think his uh, – his, uh, body of work was a little bit more this year. I, I saw the progression in his game, uh, even though he wasn't much of a factor there in the championship game. Uh, but the other thing is there's not many true seven-footers in the NBA anymore, and I think Towns has the potential uh, to be one of those guys. But uh, Minnesota's definitely uh, sitting pretty there. I think anybody there in the top five uh, is going to be happy with the player they walk away with. 
Well, Hans, when you look at where the Atlanta Hawks sit in this lottery, they're, they're number 15. Well, what, what would you like to see them add to this team? Because right now it's undetermined whether they can actually beat the Cavs. And if they were to beat the Cavs, do they have enough in the tank in that second unit to beat a team like Golden State and Houston? So looking forward to the draft, what would you like to see them add to their roster as far as next year is concerned? Oh, man, I, I was salivating watching the uh, championship run that Duke went on with Justice Winslow. He is exactly what the Atlanta Hawks need. He's not going to be there at 15, but if they could find a way, a guy who's kind of like, a, reminds me of a Ron Artest a little bit. Not as crazy, thank goodness, but <laughs> that, that kind no of tough player. Yeah, well, you know what I mean. He's going to get in there hard enough. <laughs> get some rebounds. He played under Coach K in college. Um, he's a guy that's going to be in this league for a long time. He's not as limited as Ron Artest was offensively coming into the league, but he's a guy that I would, I think would be a perfect fit. And don't forget about the Danny Ferry-Duke connection. Uh, I do expect Danny Ferry to be back making some uh, moves for the Atlanta Hawks here in the near future, but he's a guy I would not consider moving up for. And then, of course, another guy who could who would fit right into the system would be a Frank Comiskey-type guy, uh, a big guy that can shoot the three, and we know how Danny Ferry and Coach Budenholzer like their guys, their bigs in particular, uh, that can stretch the floor and uh, shoot the three. And if that means not seeing Peril and Teach in a Hawks uniform ever again, I'm all for it. Well, Hans, before we let you get out of here, two-part question. One, can the Hawks actually pull off and win their first championship NBA title, not being the St. Louis Hawks that won it back in, I believe, 57-58? Can they win it? Do they have enough? And what would it mean for the city of Atlanta if they were able to bring another championship back to the city? Well, it would be probably the greatest accomplishment in the history of Atlanta sports. Um, you know, you look at what the Falcons had getting to the Super Bowl, the success that the Braves had year after year, but just getting that one world championship, you know, it, you, play, you played your college ball at Georgia Tech. You know the, that Atlanta is a college football town. Everything revolves around college football. But this, this, just, this team, the way that they go about their business, the fact they came out of nowhere, they don't have a superstar, and here they are yet again with their backs up against the wall. If they were to somehow pull this out, um, it, it would be an unbelievable story. And, of course, the new ownership of the, of the franchise, what a way to come in, win or lose. You know, that, that arena was packed. Tickets are already on the resale market for Game 2 and Game 5 if they're able to win one between now and then. And people are jumping on board. It's an easy team to root for. I mean, there's no bad guys. You know, they're never really out of it. They, they fight till the very end, and they go about it the right way. You know, they don't play dirty. They just play hard, and, and they show you that it's a team sport. You know, it's, you got guys like Dwight Howard and Carmelo Anthony and, you know, some of these other prima donnas in the league that – truth be told, kind of shunned a lot of people away from the sport for a while. Um, and it's teams like the Hawks that, that are bringing people back into it. Ratings last night were higher than they were for last year's Eastern and Western Conference Finals. So I think the casual basketball fan can, can embrace this. But, I, you know, with the injuries to Cephalosha and Carroll, they're up against it. it it's going to be really difficult. But you mentioned that 15th pick, Millsap's a free agent. Carroll's a free agent. If they were able to keep those guys in the equation, bring in a guy like a Wesley Matthews or someone else, um, they're going to sell some tickets. They got a guy in Steve Coonan who came over from Turner Sports 
who's running this thing the right way, and it's a franchise heading in the right direction. Well, I tell you, Hans, I am rooting for Atlanta to hopefully win. Well, that's but the, thank you, Nick. We appreciate yeah. your support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm rooting for the city because I Nick mean, the is city- just bitter that LeBron left Miami and he wants to see LeBron fail. That's all it is. No, think, you know I what? I think 90% <laughs> of the people out there want to see this. No, huh? in, in all honesty, once again, Mario, you tried to, uh, you know, uh, Floyd Mayweather me again. My, my but- <laughs> oh, no. No, but Hans, realistically, I would like to see that the team actually has have a lot of success because I know and you know this as well. The team... And the city hasn't had a championship since that 95 Braves team. And they've been clamoring for some, this type of thing to come back and revitalize the city. I mean, you, you have all these buildings being erected. You have the College Hall of Fame that's down there. Now, if you capitalize off of that momentum and you were to bring an NBA title back to Atlanta, I mean, that, that would be great for the city. I don't think it's going to happen, just like you said. Too many injuries. You got LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Not going to happen. I'm very. I'm. I'm just trying to be very optimistic instead of being pessimistic. So give me credit for that, man. I gotta tell you that now that he's got this little running jump hook. I mean, honest. I mean, what do you do about that? I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. It's like he's playing with a bunch of school kids on, on a lowered basket. I mean, he's he's some kind of player, and uh, he's in the prime of his career. And I, I think the moves that they made. You know, at the trade deadline, bringing in guys like Mozgov, and you saw J.R. Smith last night, and Amon Shumpert, too, who's one of the best athletes in the league. I mean, these are, these are team players, and uh, he's got a nice supporting cast around him. I wouldn't be surprised if they won at all. I really wouldn't. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting matchup if it's between them and Golden State. Our ratings will probably be as high as they, as they ever have been. But, Nick, real quick before we go, I haven't had a chance to congratulate you on your Orange Bowl victory this year in, in Georgia Tech. You guys had one heck of a season. And uh, next year you're actually going to have to play some teams. No more Wofford. Uh, no more uh, Chuck Southern. You're going to have to play Georgia Clemson, <laughs> Florida State. I believe uh, there's a couple other ones in there as well. You guys got a, a real tough schedule this year, but congratulations. Well-deserved. Well, you know, uh, yeah, it, thanks, Han. Thanks for that. I think Paul Johnson is uh, finally coming around and trying to do something different with that team. And, you know, he got those accolades, a- ACC Coach of the Year again, and also a new contract extension. So, hey, with, with a lot of money come a lot of pressure, but the rewards, you know, are all worth it. You know, I'm behind the program, and hopefully now you plan a lot of top-rated programs. Maybe now this coming into this season – a lot of outside of the uh, ACC uh, teams will take us serious as a team and as a conference. I'm going to have to have you back on again to talk about that as we get into college football season to see if teams like Alabama, like you just mentioned, Georgia Tech, now will start scheduling some quality teams on their schedule instead of some cupcake teams. But always a pleasure to talk to you, Han, and hopefully the Hawks win a game too and really can stretch this thing out. But appreciate you uh, joining the program. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Hans Heiser reporting everything from Atlanta Sports, ACC sideline reporter and for Fox Sports South and covers everything for the Falcons and the Hawks. Appreciate it again, Hans, for joining us. Anytime, guys. Y'all take care. Thanks, Hans. Coming up after this short break, Stephen Curry, are you on board and off board with guys bringing their kids to post-game interviews? I don't know. We'll discuss this and break this down more. And Mario will give you his real talk about it. You're listening to Nick Ferguson's Second Day Perspective here on Voice America Sports. 
The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, that's sweet porch you right there. Sort of like uh, Steph Curry in that short corner with that three-point shot. And game two between the Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets tonight. I was really impressed with how Stephen, Stephen Curry, uh, excuse me, uh, played the other night. And you got, you have two guys, you know, you, you have Stephen Curry on one hand and you have James Harden. Both guys were up for the league MVP, but you talk about an MVP performance. I mean, Steph Curry uh, just came out 38 points. He was 6-11 from three-point range. And, I, and the great thing is, you know, one turnover. When you're a guy that 
touch the ball as many times as he does. The one thing you always look at, Mario, is, you know, turnovers. And James Harden had five, but he still had 28 points. You have to wonder what would the game might have been like if uh, Dwight Howard remained in the game. But I want you to take a listen to what Stephen, Stephen Curry had to say after that game one victory. Play harder and smarter on the defensive end. Uh, every time we get stops, we can get out of transition in the open floor and we have so many weapons that kill teams in that situation. So we got to get to that situation to help our team get out of a hole and, and take a lead and especially get our crowd back. Well, there's no presence about having enough time to get a shot off or um, have to get to the lane and make a play. So I try to have a quick release and the guys get involved when I'm open so I can get it off. But they're fine all around, and that's what the playoffs are all about. They're going to make adjustments, and you got to be honest. We defended him well. He just made some tough shots in the fourth quarter. All ISO is good. Obviously, he's a great talent, but Clay and Andre and all them, and Draymond, they all play great defense. So we'll live with those shots as long as you know, they're not getting open threes. Um, and over the course of the series, hopefully it were. And that's Steph, Stephen Curry talking about uh, James Harden. And Mario, I mean, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, but James Harden has been sensational, even though his team uh, lost the game in game one against Golden State. But when you talk about that step back three, I mean, that's money all day. All and it's day. Hard, and it's, it's hard to defend it because, I mean, Klay Thompson was in his face, hand in his face, but it was, it was just falling down. So, I mean, it's going to be a very exciting series. But I have to say this, Mario, I would be remiss. When you look at some of the stars and these playoffs and that they are, Normally, a lot of production we expect to come from them. But for both the Houston Rockets, we saw with J.R. Smith, and even with Golden State, it's not always the stars. It's kind of that, that sixth man. And, you know, Pablo Pigioni was that guy when Houston played uh, the Clippers to give them that spark off, off the bench. But Sean Livingston, I mean, 18 points. And we talk about it, it was a point in the game where Houston was up and the crowd at Golden State was kind of deflated. But Sean Livingston lifted him up with his 18 points. And you have to wonder, how often can these guys who are considered to be bench players come in and give you quality minutes and put points on the board? But it should be an exciting series. What are your thoughts? Um, This is always the key to an NBA championship, Nick. I mean, obviously, it's nice to have a close-knit, you know, good group of guys. But when you can get production out of your bench, like you you just said with Cleveland, with J.R. Smith, uh, the way that Livingston did last night, if it's a different guy every night, that's awesome. But if you have that one, maybe two guys that can come in and give you a spark when, you know, whatever you're doing just isn't working for whatever reason, that's the key to being able to win games that you otherwise maybe shouldn't have won. It's this X factor that, you know, the team doesn't prepare. The team isn't, the Rockers aren't preparing for a Sean Livingston nearly as much as they are, you know, the other six guys that are going to. Uh, get playing time ahead of him, you know, Nick. So when he comes in and the Rockets are like, how is this guy dropping 18 points? We got nothing on him in the scouting report. You know, this this guy was bottom of the barrel. Like, why are we even guarding him? So I think that's why that's what makes it such a huge, uh, huge deal. So also, you know, the NBA, just like the NFL, it's all about injuries. And sometimes those injuries can kind of dictate the pace of what players are on the field and what on on the hardwood court and how you play. And we were just talking to Hans Heiser about Carroll's injury and how that's going to impact the Hawks. But talk a little about how the White Howard's injury with that knee is going to affect trying to stay on the court and keep pace with this quick up and down Golden State Warriors team. Sorry, Nick, you cut out there. 
No, I, what I was saying was, you know, with the, the major, the impact of the White Howard's injury as they tried to figure out how to slow down the Golden State Warriors as they like to get up and down on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I mean, you look at Dwight Howard's stats, they kind of speak for himself. You know, he only played 26 minutes, obviously. He just wasn't all there, only put up seven points. I mean, 13 rebounds, but nine of them were defensive. And this Rockets team is not, absolutely not going to be able to get past the Warriors. And they're certainly not, I mean, if they do, they're certainly not going to be able to win an NBA championship. If Dwight Howard isn't playing more like the Dwight Howard of old, you can't get 7-13 and 13 out of Dwight and expect to be competitive, in my opinion. I mean, there's your team is just too thin elsewhere where it matters. I mean, Josh Smith, he's kind of up and down. Obviously, he had a good game last night. Same with Trevor Ariza. Those are guys that stepped up that, you know, maybe you don't expect quite that much production. They kind of made up for Dwight Howard not being good. But, I mean, you got Jason Terry. What else can Jason Terry possibly do? He can shoot the three ball, and that's about it. He was two for nine shooting last night, seven points. He was minus eight in the plus minus. And after that, their bench is a little bit thin. I mean, Corey Brewer comes off the bench for them, and he's a spark plug every once in a while. But, you know, they absolutely must, and I can't I can't reiterate this enough, they absolutely must get production out of Dwight Howard. He cannot score seven points. Now, his, his defensive presence was obviously there, but he only had one block. So this is not the Dwight Howard that they need to see. It's the Dwight Howard I like to see because personally I don't like the guy and I don't like the way that he carries himself. So I want Dwight Howard to keep playing this way, but James Harden can only do so much. I mean, 42 minutes out of James Harden last night. That, that, that's a lot. He's played a lot of minutes uh, of this season, but one more importantly, I don't think no, anyone cares what you think about Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard doesn't think about <laughs> what Mario Batanzi thinks about... That's fine. Uh, uh, Dwight Howard uh, is entitled to his opinion, and I'm entitled to mine. And mine is that he's going to choke, and the Rockets aren't going to beat the Warriors, and I'm just going to revel in his pain. Well, see, there, there it is. Revel in <laughs> someone else's pain, courtesy of Mario Batanzi. That's how we so, do things, man. Man, you flew, you Floyd Mayweather. If you, if, you can't, today. if you can't handle the truth, then then don't listen to the show. I'm gonna be straight hey, up well, honest. Well, hey, straight up honest. That's what real talk is all about. But here's some real talk for you. Ray Rice, remember Ray Rice and his domestic violence. As of today, he would no longer have a domestic violence charge on his record. So I guess, you know, good, good for him and good the fact that both he and his wife are trying to, you know figure out the issues that they have from a marital standpoint so they don't have a situation like this again. But I'm still wondering, is his days in the NFL truly over? Will a team actually go out on a limb and try to bring Ray Rice in, knowing as though you can bring 90 guys uh, in the training camp? Do you think we could possibly see Ray Rice on the NFL roster before the start of the regular season? Uh, Honestly, Nick, it would surprise me if you're just looking at his on-field production. You know, let's, and obviously this is difficult to do, but let's forget the fact that, you know, he had all of, like, this case against him that, you know, he beat his wife. And let's just set that aside for one second. How effective was he in the NFL the year before? He averaged three yards a carry behind a Baltimore offensive line that was pretty solid. I mean, they weren't great, but they weren't terrible by any means. So a lot of teams are going to think, you know, are we going to invest in this player who clearly has off-field issues but didn't really produce the last year that he played? Plus, 
he took an entire year off. Some teams are going to say, oh, well, you know, as a running back, that's going to help. It's going to make him fresh. Other teams are worried because you can't just, like, step up and then start playing running back in the NFL. You can't just take a year off and be like, oh, well, you know, now I'm fine. Everything's good, especially when the year before you weren't productive. So I think teams need to weigh how productive he can be and is he worth the risk. And if it was my team, honestly, I don't want Ray Rice on it. And it's not just the domestic violence. It's I don't think that the risk is worth the reward. Well, you talk about risk versus reward. The new NFL rules, uh, they moved the extra point back to uh, two-yard line, to the 15-yard line, making it a 32-yard field goal. And the two-point conversion remains the same. Turnovers on block extra points are now two points. Are you in favor of this or not? Yeah, I, I, I guess. <laughs> I, I didn't really think anything of it, Nick. I mean, the extra points are, are chip shots and something that you don't even really think of. I mean, they miss, what, three or four throughout the entire course of an NFL season. It's usually a bad snap anyway. Um, Honestly, I think this makes it easier because it requires the kicker to actually kick it up. And so instead of kicking the line drive and, you know, that's when footballs get blocked. Um, And maybe we'll see more two-point conversions, Nick, since that's still at the two-yard line and teams are going to say, oh, you know what? Uh, It's technically like a 25, 30-yard field goal. Let's just go for two. Well, we'll we'll wait to see how this plays out. Uh, They change the rules Every single year, I mean, the defensive guys are looking at Travis because it gives them two points, but we'll see. I want to thank Hans Heiser for joining us. As always, my host, my co-host, Mario Batanza. You can find him at Mile High Mario. You can find me on Twitter at Nick Ferguson underscore. Justin, thank you for keeping everything running smoothly. Memorial Day weekend. I don't know what your plans are, but I hope you plan on being safe. We'll see you next week. Same time. Voice America Sports. Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective. Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week.